man. It's 5.15, and we're going live uh, for Camera Shop Talk uh, with Inglewood Camera, and we have our special guest today. Uh, he is a Colorado-based, uh, large-format photographer. Uh, his name is Alex Burke, and he's right here below Mitch and Hi. I. Hello. How's it going? Good. Thanks for joining us. Uh, we're super excited about this uh, this episode um, because I don't think Mitch and I are very well-versed in uh, f- film at all, really. <laughs> right. but, Especially but, large formats. So. Large for- <laughs> I, I'm like, oh, yeah. See, this is my, uh, you know, my Linhoff 4x5. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've got an expert shot, four shots in it. It's great. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you have one. so I have one. Expert, so, right? yeah. so. Exactly. Some people have telescopes. I have a 4x5. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> around their living room. But so we're going to talk everything, all things large format photography from, you know, why, you know, large format <laughs> photography uh, and, and you know, backpacking into these remote areas with mm-hmm. all the stuff you need for large format photography. And then um, every and then the end process, like scanning and and, and you know, how you get your your end image. Yeah. Um, so everyone who's tuning in right now um, at the end of this, I will post all the links uh, I was cruising your your website, Alex, and you have a cool blog about like the types of film. Uh, yeah, I try to help out. That's been one of my big things is resources for other film photographers, people that are new and just wanting to get into film or whatever. So uh, this, I try to, there's not a whole lot out there, I feel like for some people. So Right. Yeah, you can yeah. either go to YouTube or you can go to these really old film forums from like yeah. the early 2000s and be like, oh. <laughs> yeah. So, um, but I thought your your blog was super informational from what I just the quick scan through it uh, on the first on the first read uh, about the different types of film and stuff. So we'll post your website and everything like that later awesome. for everyone to see. Um, but uh, but yeah, Mitch and I are super excited to have you on. So thanks for for coming on. Yeah, um, Mitch, I want to talk about some of your pictures because they're right. really cool. And okay. I love landscape photography and I love talking about landscape photography. So let's, awesome. I want to dive into that right away. Right, go for it. Yeah. Let's do it. Let me pull it up. Cause right away we were looking at a couple of those, uh, right before we went live. And I think with most film photographers, you notice right away that they're just, they seem to get the handle on, you know, having a clean composition right away. Um, and yeah. you are obviously very good at that. So. Well, thank you. I pre- <laughs> you see, I, I'm pretty center heavy on a lot of my compositions. You'll probably mm-hmm. see that on most of these we go through. But um, there's something about when you make this five foot wide print, this yeah. four by five foot print, and you just stand, you know, a few feet in front of it. And when things pull you into the middle, just, you know, framing it with these trees on the side like we have here. And then everything's just in the middle and that's really what works so well. So that, I mean, part of using a view camera is you spend so much time under the ground glass, you're going to get, you're going to really work on that composition and try to get it perfect. Yeah. Um, I'd imagine you probably spend quite a bit more time mm-hmm. checking everything before you take the photo. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, and that, but that's nice. I mean, that's really, uh, that's a good yeah. skill to have. It's probably one of the, later acquired skills for a lot of photographers because if yeah, you're starting it, it, with digital it's so easy to just well i think we're where you worry a lot about making the camera work you know for a long mm-hmm. time so we're, and then with digital there's kind of always these new things there's always a 
uh, kind of some new stuff technology to work with. And I don't have any of that. It's old. It's been old. It's not going to get any newer. And so, I mean, I, I kind of just work with composition. So the only thing I actually do use a little digital camera to find my compositions because you can't really walk around with a four by five in front of your face. Right. So, you know, people used to do the old, you know, pretty much can do that or a piece of map, a piece of map or the rectangle mm -hmm. uh, cut out of it. But I use a little uh, micro four thirds camera because it gives me, I can, for one, I can expose your preview. So I know that my exposure is going to be right. I use it as a light meter. Mm -hmm. And then I also can find compositions with it. I have a zoom lens that covers all five of my lenses that I have for it. Mm -hmm. So I can find out exactly which lens I want to use and which, you know, how I want to set it up the scene using that little camera. And the, uh, the conversion then for four by five in, in, for equivalent to like 35 mil. Yeah. So I have like a, so all I know is like my 12 millimeter lens. So it's a, the zoom lens I have is 12 to 50 on the, uh, on the micro four thirds. And mm -hmm. that covers from 75 to 300 essentially. Oh, wow. Yeah. Four by five. Yeah. So, so it's quite a conversion, but yeah, I just know <laughs> the, the five lenses I have, I just know exactly which millimeter is perfect mm -hmm. for all five lenses. So that's cool. No, I, I think that's awesome. I, I sort of did a, uh, a similar thing when I very, the very first film photos I ever shot was for my girlfriend's uh, film class in college. And I had a, a full frame mirrorless and then her AE one that we were using and we totally cheated. Right. Yeah. We, we, we adapted the um, FD lens to the mirrorless checked all the settings, make sure everything was fine yep. and took a picture and it, you know, yeah, a little cheating. I mean, why not? <laughs> you, you have a histogram, so you know, what's going to come out. Yeah. We, we I were just like, use, it's my light meter too. And it works so well because slide yeah. film has such a narrow dynamic range that right. I want to be spot on with exposure. And it's also five bucks a shot for the film itself. Yeah. So I don't want to be taking five shots when it's that expensive. So, right. And the time involved. So, yeah. That's so crazy. You just like, so you're just, you're hiking in, you set up and you know, when I go shooting landscapes, you know, I'll take so many photos. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Dozens or more. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. A couple dozen and I'll get back and I'll still be like, man, I should have taken more photos. Yeah, <laughs> <You're right. laughs> and, and, and so you, you show up, how much, how much film do you bring on to a shoot? Like, so, I mean, I always kind of have like, so I have these film holders that hold two sheets of film on each side, you know, one on each side. And I usually have like, on a general day hike or so i have like eight of those in my backpack with a variety of film i don't usually usually what i like to say is when i go to out for a sunrise i end up shooting between zero and maybe three sheets so if it's not very good i don't even set up or if i do sometimes i set up and go eh, the light didn't happen and then if it is pretty good i'll shoot one sometimes you know that sunrise light just keeps changing you never know when the best moment is so i don't really mm -hmm. change compositions but i might shoot you know two or three of the same scene as the light changes that is gosh that's got to be the most difficult thing because you could <laughs> you you're looking at a beautiful sunset maybe the sun's not better? all the is way down yeah and <laughs> it'll be everything will go have you had that happen where everything will go gray and all of a sudden mm -hmm. the sun comes below just another break and then it and it'll light up everything up and you've already yeah, yeah. packed everything up and you're like God. you know i definitely know like you don't pack up until 15 20 minutes past sunset mm -hmm. you know yeah. so i just kind of hang out so sometimes i'll shoot that one or two during sunset and be like mm -hmm. oh you know is that one more coming and sometimes yeah. it does sometimes it doesn't so that's always <laughs> a lesson learned the hard way every oh time. yeah <laughs> especially in colorado where we have these mountains behind you you don't really know what's going yeah. on behind them you sometimes you start to look at the clouds you're like there's that little bit of light edge happening among them but mm -hmm. those mountains block so much much. You have no idea what's really going on over there. And then yeah. the sky might just blow up. It's, so, uh, it's always yeah. so out of nowhere. I always, I call the mountains like a Yahtzee cup. Yeah. Right. It's <laughs> <That's laughs> a good way to put They're it. It's like a uh, sunset. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <Right>. Yahtzee. <laughs>
those sometimes the best ones are the ones where you're just like, wow, this this sucks, and then you wait and just those yep. are maybe it's just because you waited and you and like you're rewarding yourself like yes. this was the best <laughs> shot I've ever taken of a sunset. Right. Um, <laughs> there's some crazy Coors Field sunsets that like if I oh go yeah, back, it's good I, go back, yeah, I go back down to the the photo well and then like five seconds later it hits. I just like am shaming myself for the rest of the, of the <laughs> yeah. week. But, wow, man, you didn't have any patience and your guys are losing by like five runs. You could have just stayed up there. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's um, awesome. So you yeah. were saying, uh, which I thought was pretty cool when we were first talking that you're from Estes Park. Yeah, I grew up in Estes Park. I went to mm-hmm. middle and high school there. Mm-hmm. So, and is uh, that where you sort of? Got into photography, or you know, actually not really. I kind of got into it when I moved away. I moved to Phoenix afterwards, and that's when I kind of I think being away from the mountains is what hmm. made me fall back in love with them. So I'd find yeah. myself wanting to get out to the desert whenever I could in Phoenix, uh, and it was just kind of a different, a di- different feel for me. Hmm. I start I uh, that's when I started to one, once I got back to the mountains, I just loved them. I wanted to shoot as much as possible there, and but it, I think my experience in Estes Park got me into hiking and got me into hmm. loving it more later on. Absolutely. Well, that's uh, yeah, that's a great skill to have already because I think that you know if you you can learn photography and then all of a sudden you have this whole separate other knowledge to figure out which is how to navigate that <laughs> that right. kind of landscape to get those photos and to get to those places so it uh becomes pretty difficult what made you do four by five then were you always yeah, film or i uh, so honestly i got into film so when i first got into photography i think um someone gave me this lousy point and shoot digital camera mm-hmm. and um i mean i was broke back then so i just wanted something cheap, but I wanted the features of a modern SLR, DSLR, but I couldn't afford it. So I found like some Canon EOS three, some camera, some 35 millimeter camera that had all the bells and whistles. I thought that would be awesome. Yeah. And the re- you know, those were only, this was in like, this would have been like early two thousands or so. That's when film stuff was at its dirt cheap. You know, mm-hmm. it, it was rock bottom for prices there. So yeah. it was only a couple hundred bucks for a camera and a lens, a nice camera and lens. <laughs> and that kind of got me going. And, and that's where I started to like film. And then when I wanted, I mean, 35 millimeter film does not have much resolution capability. When I wanted to go bigger, I, I mean, I had a thought like, do I shoot digital or do I just go with more bigger film? And I, I went with four by five. Mm-hmm. So not, not a reasonable choice, but it worked out pretty well. So. <laughs> Well, it's a unique skill now. You know, it's 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 very cool. It's uh, yeah. Let's uh let's go to another another picture here. Yeah. And this you is... do this largely full time then? Yeah, right? for... yeah. It's, I've been doing it full time for almost five years, about four or five years now. Uh, I started my business in 2012 and started doing art shows kind of around the country for the most part. They're mostly in Colorado, but I go out to the Plain states in Texas as well and do some art shows out there. So yeah. Well, for something that's so kind of uh, dependent on weather and conditions and and the time of year, and since you're obviously really good at picking out one image or or going out and coming back with, you know, just a few really good keepers, what would you say is like a successful amount of pictures per year of like really good photos? You like to get a dozen or so. Yeah. You know, and that's maybe like, that would end up being like a dozen to 15 that I really like. Mm-hmm. And that might end up being like six new prints that I would put in the booth. Yeah. So five or six new prints that I might put in a year. Enough for a calendar. Yeah. yeah right. <laughs> yeah. <Pretty much>. So, <laughs> For sure. And so um, 
like what's what's your setup like what what camera do you have and you know how maybe how heavy is it compared to like uh yeah so um i started using with a toyo four by five which is this all metal tank it's about seven pounds for just the just the four by five itself and I used to go backpacking with that and I would bring all four. I had four lenses at the time. I'd bring all four lenses. I'd bring like a dozen, 10 to 12 film holders. And I ended up, I didn't ever weigh my backpacking bag. It was uh, someone, I was backpacking with someone and he had a luggage weighing scale with him. And he said it was 72 pounds and it was just a two night trip. And I'm like, what am I doing with 72 pounds on my back? So it's <laughs> ridiculous. And it turned out about 40, some of that was was the cameras itself. So yeah. I started really trimming it down. I got an Intrepid 4x5 because they were that really lightweight wood one. Mm -hmm. um, they're pretty good. They're good starter. Um, they're a good lightweight camera. They're a good starter camera. I wanted a little more um, rigidity. So I went with the Chamonix about, a couple, about two years ago. I got the Chamonix 4x5. And it is kind of a half carbon fiber, half wood design. And it's about three pounds for the camera itself. And then I only, when backpacking, I only bring usually two maybe three lenses with me. And then I bring three or four film holders. Those film holders add up on weight. If you have a stack of 10 of those, it weighs more than way more than the camera. Yeah. So, so I bring less film holders. Then I bring boxes of film to change film. Uh, I bring a changing bag so I can change in the dark in the field there. Sure. So, yeah. But, so I've gotten the camera stuff down to about 15 pounds, including the tripod, which is pretty good for a four by five kit. So, yeah. There's yeah. some people with, more digital light yeah, than that. The, yeah yeah that is more than that <laughs> yeah, so it's, it's actually a it's kind of an ideal backpacking format because the lenses are all small i mean no matter this is a rather long lens at 210 but it's not very big it's mm -hmm. you know it, it, all of my lenses weigh well under a pound so um they're you know when you see those big long digital lenses they're heavy so do you still buy any equipment for that stuff or you feel like your your setup's pretty much where you'd where you'd uh, like it? I've had pretty much I mean, so last year was the first I bought the first lens in 10 years. Mm -hmm. Um I, I bought a 300. It was now my longest lens. Um and it's really small. It was one I can use for backpacking. It's tiny, it weighs half a pound or so. Um, but it's it's the, that's the first lens I bought in 10 years. Cause once you kind of have your set of lenses, I mean, what right. else do you what else do you need? Yeah. So they're all 30 or 40 years old or so. I think that 300 was the newest is maybe 25 years old. Yeah, <laughs> and, me, me and Kyle always talk about living the prime life, but you really live the prime life. <laughs> yeah. Right. Don't have an option. So. <laughs> What's like your, your favorite focal length. That's changed for me over the years. I, uh, I used to go a lot more wide angle, you know, always with a 75 or a 90, 90 used to be my absolute favorite focal length. Recently I have gone to using this 210 a lot more, especially for my work on the prairie that I've been doing. And uh, I even find that I like that a lot more for fall colors in the Aspen Forest. Uh, 210 is a pretty awesome focal length. It's kind of like 65 or 70 or so on 35 millimeter. Mm -hmm. So it's just a little longer than 50, but not as long as 85 equivalent. It's kind of an unusual focal length, but it works really well on 4x5. And then um, for wides, when I go backpacking, because the mountains are always so tall up there, I always bring my 75, which is kind of like 21 millimeter or so. Wow. So good, real wide. And that's about, that's really about as wide as you can practically use on four by five. They do make a few wider lenses, but they get really difficult to use. This, sure. this one we're looking at looks like it was done pretty wide. Is yeah. It? That's yeah. with my 75 there. Yeah. yeah. That's a nice and, photo. Thanks. I really like that one. <laughs> that is from the wind river range last uh, August. So that's pretty far. You got to hike pretty good ways in there. And I, I usually like to do a five or six day loop in the wind rivers every year if mm -hmm. I can. And I have the last four or five years. 
and it's just a just stunning mountain ranges up there it's it's wild it's remote it's it's back there oh there's really no destinations in the range that are like less than 10 or 12 miles from a trailhead so mm. you kind of have to go backpacking and yeah. just might as well go to another lake while you're in there and just keep make a big loop out of it so, yeah right you um, gotta love the journey though that's kind oh, of oh i love it yeah the, the winds are one, one of my of favorite places <laughs> Do you do it solo or does do you have, does your girlfriend come with you or? I do about two thirds of my trip solo. And then sometimes I bring a friend along or something for other trips, but I do sure. about two thirds of them solo. Someone's I who's do... patient and ready to, to wait for the light. Yeah, that's pretty much Not it. that your girlfriend's not. Um, <laughs> it's important when you're traveling with someone who's like, and you're ready there, you're there to take a photo. Like you're you gotta mm -hmm. be like, you gotta be ready to just kind of hang out. Yeah, that's. That's what I very really, important. What's crazy about the backpacking is you spend all day walking around and you're just there. I, I'm really mostly there for that, you know, five minutes in the morning and five minutes in the evening. And there's a whole lot of time to, and I generally, I, I uh, don't really move every day. I like to hike in somewhere and spend two nights in one spot and then move on. Mm -hmm. So I'm not moving every single day. And I have these entire long down days where I can reload film, read a book, enjoy, make coffee, just kind of hang out in the mountains without this, like trying to cover 12 miles every single day mentality. Yeah. So, and then I could find compositions for that sunset and the next sunrise. Mm -hmm. It gives me a lot of time to just enjoy the mountains. And I love it. A couple more opportunities for different weather too. Yeah, absolutely. Cause otherwise yeah. if you just have one night at every spot, I mean, you're, you'd always be like, man, I wish I was there for another night. Cause it's mm -hmm. so awesome. Yeah. So. Right how does how does so let's go to the next photo because it's kind of the opposite. This was summer, right? really, really, really yeah. like that. Very frigid. Um, oh, yeah. How does the eight? How does like the, the large format stuff like handle the the cold weather? Oh, it's great. I mean, there's no electronics in there or anything. Right. I haven't had. I had um, that seventy five. I have is my oldest lens, and I looked up the serial number, and it was made in like sixty eight or something. And uh, the shutter that came with it used to get sticky in the cold and eventually the shutter failed altogether. So I just replaced the shutter on it. But for the most part, I mean, if you have really, really old shutters, they might get sticky, but everything else works fine. You don't have to fiddle with your exposure times or anything. That's actually really good stuff for cold, extreme weather. Wind is your enemy. I mean, the things, the cameras themselves are a kite. I mean, they'll just blow away in the wind. Right. And then aside from that, the, any, any, leaves moving around or brass and the long exposure mm -hmm. is like constant pain do you uh do you stand in front of the wind to kind of shield it i try you know it's, it's, it's like a moot effort sometimes yeah. it's a mild success but yeah. not a whole lot but this is a really pretty picture though that another yeah this is really you're good at uh minimalizing <laughs> yeah. distractions for sure yeah um, that's, that's that was on the prairie uh just this fr that frost had just come through i i had actually driven by there a little bit earlier and there uh -huh. was the frost and it was about an hour half hour before sunrise and then i saw this little band that little you can see it and then that fat fog that is like maybe 20 feet off the ground is all it is and yeah. it came through in like a 15 minute wave and just blasted everything with frost it was wild so you were <laughs> aware pretty much of that composition yeah before the weather and then went back yeah, yeah yeah once i saw it with thick frost it was amazing do you um, kind of have your year planned out then of where you're gonna go or you do know you wanna... i uh, generally i plan the art shows first and then i plan in trips between the shows and i mm -hmm. i i kind of i don't plan out to great detail a lot i, I just kind of want to go to an area and then get my boots on the ground and then figure out where i want to go from there mm -hmm. but i don't i don't plan out a lot of exact compositions or scenes because if you've seen it on the internet then you've seen it before 
Yeah. So I, I just, <laughs> I, I find areas that I'm like, that looks amazing. I need to go there. And mm -hmm. I just get there and try to find things once I, once I get on the ground, it's yeah. a little more time wasting for sure, but I kind of have that flexibility to spend the time out there. Yeah, sure. That's cool. Um, let's see. So you make your living as like, uh, doing art shows. Yeah. That's right. about like 80% and, of my and selling prints, yeah. but well, you sell prints at art shows. So, yep. Awesome. Uh, you know, how, how bless you. My roommate is, is sneezing behind me. Um, uh, how, how many art, art shows do you do a year? So typically about 14 was the last two years. I did 14 or so. And that's usually my goal is around 12 to 14 art shows. So they're mostly from about April through September. And then I like, so I, I haven't had a show in, since uh, September of last year. So, sure. yeah. And, and you're talking about how, how the pandemic is kind of, uh, yeah, there may not be any shows this year. That's hard to yeah. say at this point. Currently, all of my shows through June have canceled, so I don't quite yeah. know what it's going to look like moving forward. But I'll find another way. It's it'll be a good run either way. So right, exactly. <laughs> everyone go. We'll put a link to your website, and everyone go buy a print from Alex. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> um, do you always do? Are the shows always in in Colorado? Or are they always uh, here? So last year I did uh, five outside of state, nine in state. So mm -hmm. yeah. And so mostly the ones I do out of state, like I did Park City, Utah, and then the rest of them are mostly like Omaha, Dallas, Oklahoma City, Kansas City area. So it's a, it's a pretty good market. go to market. Chicago because they don't even know what this stuff is. They're like, what? Yeah. The earth looks like that? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> um, this one is this one's awesome. Um, yeah. Uh, that's another backpacking one from in Montana last summer. And so I've actually been working with one of the issues. I I always carry 10 film holders when backpacking before. And the reason was I wanted a variety of film types. I wanted some Velpia 50. I wanted some Provia. I wanted some Ektar. I wanted all these types of film. And that, I mean, you just have to carry all these extra holders and extra boxes. And I tried to really simplify things this year. And I said, I'm going to bring one film type. Therefore, I can only have, I just had three film holders. So that's six shots of one film type. It only means I have to have one extra box of film, one dump box for for exposed sheets. And so it's just a whole lot less stuff in the backpack. And I've settled on Portra, Kodak Portra 160. Um, it's an incredibly soft toned film and not many people use it for landscapes, but you can tell there's a unique hues going on here. The last backpacking one you showed was also with that film. And so was the snow one too. It's yeah. a soft, it's a soft color palette with an endless dynamic range. I mean, you can, you can reach into the highlights, you know, to, for, you know, it, 10 stops over probably and you can still reach into the highlights. It's I knew amazing. there was a reason I liked these. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, I'm a big portrait fan. It's an amazing film. It definitely has some unique characters that um, it gets a little funky on sunsets in some tones because my understanding is unlike Ektar, you know, portraits made for portraits and they reduce the red channel so it doesn't give people those red skin tones so mm -hmm. much. And so sometimes in sunsets, you kind of have where like the sunset goes from orange yellow to where'd the red go and then magenta. <sighs> so, but it's pretty amazing film overall. Uh, I, I like it. It's pretty versatile. So, and Ektar is a good substitute if you want a little more punch in your landscapes, but I like Portra and I like overexposing it a little bit to kind of soften the color palette. Mm -hmm. And I think it's actually pretty amazing for landscapes. Yeah, I was going to ask, you mentioned Ektar. I was going to ask if there's any specific scenarios or, or you know, where you would use one specific film uh, over another. You know, I still get to be like a little more of that traditional colorful photographer when fall color comes around because I love the changing Aspen. So that's when I start using a lot more Ektar. Mm -hmm. um, I almost hardly used any slide film all summer long 
And then come fall last year is when I started using Velvia again, because it does do a really good job with fall color. It's, I mean, and then I, I get these slides back and I'm like, that's why you shoot Velvia. I mean, it's so, <laughs> it's so fun to look at a slide. They look phenomenal where negatives are never very fun to look at on a light table. They, yeah, they you described it as like a, what did you describe it in your blog? Like an orange um, mess. Or yeah. Orange mess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's only a brown orange mess is all they are. So they're not all that fun to look at, but slides really are. And slides are a little easier to scan because what you see is what you get in the scan. Mm-hmm. Negatives. Negatives need a little more love to kind of get the colors right. Cause it's all up to interpretation, but that's kind of the fun of it. It's almost like a raw file where, I mean, even when you were printing uh, negatives back in the day, there was so much to be done based on, you know, which filter you use color wise in there. So it's, there's a lot of potential to pull out of a negative. Mitch's mom is on the chat and she says that your, your images are beautiful. Well, thank you. Ethereal is a good word. That's part, good of, word. <laughs> that's part of that portrait. It's got that nice soft it's glow. Absolutely. Um, these are from, this is the Pawnee. I'm going to, well, let's not skip the planes because you like shooting the planes and we have a lot of customers uh, who, who specifically go out to the planes. Yeah. Um, it's just a great place to shoot. I mean, I it, love these. Yeah. I mean, as you can see, I mean, I, I do bam. I put stuff right in the center. It's what I do a lot, but uh, I love it. It works so well. And so, what I love is that I, I live in Greeley. I'm not all that far from this stuff. I can just drive an hour or so, which means I can find compositions all the time. Sometimes I even find them when I'm biking around or whatever, and I can go back out there time and time again. So I don't just have to go there once because it's not 12 hours away. I can I can go there and be like, that wasn't the best sunset. Let me try it again. So mm-hmm. I can go out day after day. Once I find a composition, I start to just like, I hound it day after day. Sometimes I'll go like six days in a row and finally get like there's the there's the scene i wanted so these soft sunsets again on portra so that was one of those crazy winter prairie sunsets but portra really softened down the colors Mm -hmm. to i think a a really unique palette that's just these pastels in the sky yeah Yeah, it's really easy to look at yeah (laughs) i hear that it kind of hits on our point of you know finding finding stuff to shoot during this time maybe and and trying to like i think we're really lucky here in in colorado's our local land yeah our local landscape is just like you know everything that every other photographer in the country would want right yeah Yeah, in our backyard and then if you're out shooting it you're social distancing whether you like it or not so yeah i mean the prairie (laughs) that's why the prairie is never going to have a crowd that's gonna i mean the only place maybe the pawnee buttes you might see like you know three cars at the trailhead but you know other than that you're never going to bump into anyone down these dirt roads because there's so many different dirt roads and people living in denver are a little more likely to go a different direction than i would and there's stuff like this all over you just Mm -hmm. have to wander around and kind of find it it's so much fun. I, I like it. And the isolated subjects that really stand out. Right. Speaking of the Pawnee Buttes, um, this shot is sweet. What time of year is this? That was June. Um, and that's not normal. I tend to go there every June. And one uh, one year ever have I seen it bloom like that. So that oh, wow. was like 2015 with these purple flowers everywhere. That was like last day of June or so. Oh, wow. And then uh, I went there about the same time the next year, and there was like a third of that. And then most years, I mean, it's, it's always something blooming out there. I've seen primrose bloom in early June in different little areas there. And then like 12 years ago, I saw a bunch of cactus bloom, but I haven't seen that happen very recently. So it's huh. it's, it's kind of fun. Every year has got a different, I love that June is a really good month out there. That's when, that's when it gets green for three weeks of the year, and then it goes back to its burnt summer brown. And it's sure. it's cool love it yeah we're always threatening to go out there 
<laughs> just threatening though. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Baseball season. What were you going to say? Yeah, right. Um, you're driving on a lot of dirt roads then. Do you, what, what, uh, what vehicle, yeah, what vehicle? are you using? I've got like a 20 year old Subaru there and, we go. <laughs> and, and, a, and a 20 year old Astro van. That's my art show van slash camping thing. So nice. nice. Yeah. Two, two 20 year old vehicles. <laughs> I also have a 20 year old vehicle. Yeah. Well, 20 year old club. There we go. <laughs> yeah, right, yeah. Hey, you know, they work. So, <laughs> um, is this, is this, uh, this isn't shot on, on Portra. Is no, it? this is on Velvia. Velvia. Okay. Yeah. So, and this is a, yeah. Totally different color palette and the contrast, the blacks are a lot deeper and, right. and this is up in Canada and I was backpacking up in, um, Kootenay national park there. And so this is just one of I mean, these, this is that autumn larch trees, which is, this, it's a, you know, a deciduous pine tree, which is amazing that it goes fall color and then the needles fall off mm. so it's a really that's beautiful yeah so it's a pine that's not really an evergreen it's very soft needles on it so they turn this very vibrant yellow gold and they fall off mm. and uh yeah but they're not in very many areas the large there's some in far northern like washington and montana you'll see a few and then southern canada and once you get any further north of this park there's hardly any in canada either so they grow in a small area wow it's a beautiful tree though and i just love that kind of one week of fall there yeah, and then um, center again. You you're 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 yep. very center centric. Yeah, I, I like. I it think though. it just pulls people in so well. So. Right. And this is Ektar here, so kind of in between. You know, so that negative color palette, but a little stronger colors, especially in the green, than Portra does. But I think it came out well. Mm -hmm. Sure. And then this was the last one on our on our little slide. But Ooh, I was that at the... White Sands? Yep. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it was the new one. I just went there a couple months ago. Wow. Yeah, I've been that, meaning uh, to go there because that place looks oh, so much like it's so just like cool. Star Wars or something. You yeah, know? It's cool. um, you like you've never seen anything like it. Once the sun goes down, it mm. is the twilight there. That that was deep in twilight, so that was a five minute exposure on Provia, which I tend to use a uh, slide film for twilight. It kind of handles the colors and the longer exposures better. Five the, minutes. Yeah, the and light there was is, no wind at all to move that thing. Nothing. Yeah, wow. it, it, it frequently is. So the you know, I mean the wind tends to come through in storms, and then it tends to be calm for many days in a row. And yeah. Because that's I mean, dunes don't exist without wind, but it, right. generally there's a lot of pretty calm days at White Sands, and it's I, it's lovely there. But yeah, that was five minutes. Um, I mean, all my exposures get kind of long on four by five because I'm usually using apertures of around f22 or f32. Mm -hmm. But still, five minutes. It was getting pretty dark out. Um, but that twilight, the glow there, the light gets so incredibly even. And when you go stand on top of the dune, you feel like you're on this planet. That doesn't make sense. The the ground is brighter than the sky, which doesn't make any sense to your mind. Yeah. So you know, you start to be like, where am I? It's so bizarre to watch because right, right. Right about at sunset, the entire uh, landscape loses all contrast. Like you can't even tell the dunes from the sky. Hmm. It's just like it's all the same hue of I don't know what, just pale. <laughs> yeah. Right. And then at twilight, the shadows of the dunes ever so slightly start to fill in. You can see these deeper blue shadows behind the yucca plants there, and then the faces that are getting that twilight glow hmm. start to light up. And this, it's not much contrast, but a little bit of contrast comes back in the scene, and it's like it's just wild light there. It's amazing. Yeah. Before we before we get into to scanning, um, as someone who's kind of just dabbling in in four by five, and maybe there are other people watching, you know, you you see there your your four your large format lens, mm -hmm. and you see all the apertures on. It, and you're like, holy crap! Yeah, right. <laughs> I can drop this thing down to I don't even know what it is. Uh, 
Uh, probably F64 on a 210 or so. F- huh? Yeah, F64 or something like that. And yeah. As a as someone who has no idea what they're doing, um, you know, I was like, you don't need to shoot at what is there an advantage to shooting that that closed or? Oh, you generally have to just because the film is so big and and with landscapes we want to get everything in focus. So yeah, of course we can. You know, we can like on this image here. I use some swing to kind of you know uh, help change the focal the plane of focus between the two yuccas. That'd so be I'm like right. that'd be like a tilt shift, right? Yeah. So everything, Same idea. everything is swing the, the and main image there. There we go. Tilt. Now we can watch you. Yeah. Yeah, so everything can tilt and swing all the lenses, and then rise is one you use a lot to get um, vertical straight, like buildings. So mm. there's a, there's so much control with these cameras. Um, so every image, you're almost always using movements in some way or another. So um, sure, especially tilt is the one I use a lot to get the foreground in focus. And yeah, in that image, that's I use swing to work with the two yuccas there. So that's what worked. And that um, otherwise, because with a two ten. It's such a long focal length and it's such a big sheet of film that wide open, the depth of field would have been just on the front yucca or something like that. It would have been right. really shallow. So even at F-16, it would have been very, very soft in the background. Mm-hmm. So yeah, F-22 is kind of my general shooting landscape. And then if I'm in a forest or areas where I can't use much movements, F-32 or even F-45 is pretty common. So, wow. But since it's a bigger film format, you don't worry so much about diffraction. So Sure. Noted. Now yeah, I really, really yeah. want to see it wide open now. <laughs> yeah, right. It's pretty soft. Yeah. Are you are you able to? And I love this kind of stuff. I always try to squeeze this out of like a, a full frame or something with a long enough lens. But are you able to isolate if the peaks are far enough apart from each other with the lenses that you have with a with a wider yeah. aperture? So just like you know, like like layers of peaks. You mean? Yeah. If, if you were looking at a mountain range or a ridge line or something so like not, that. Not just from the lens itself, but you could do movements and you could With throw it. You could throw it out of focus. Yeah. You could do that tilt shift stuff, and you could throw one mountain range out of focus from the other. So that's really cool. Yeah. Now you make me want one. Yeah, right. You should get one. Join the club. You have a I won't just have a softbox behind me. I'll, I'll be <laughs> yeah. part of the sit in front of four by five club. <laughs> there we go. Um, and and. And then I hope to join the sit in front of a four by five club and know what I'm doing with it. Uh, <laughs> so, um, but, uh, but scanning, um, you, you use a, a drum scan. Yeah. So I got a drum scanner about three years ago. It was a bit of an investment. Um, it's a 550 pound monster of metal that had to get up the staircase. And uh, <laughs> it's, so it stands about as tall as me. It's about two feet by two feet wide. So I got one that's vertical so it can fit in my, I don't have a real big condo here. So wanted to save some space there but you essentially you wet mount the film on this acrylic drum and you get the just highest quality scan you can mostly because partly because it's wet mounted it cleans a lot of the dust off and it kind of affects the it seems to help with dynamic range on the scans a bit and then the main thing is that the drum scanner is not really a digital capture source it is actually pmt tubes that it uses to capture the to the image and then it converts it to digital as the last step so you get out of my four by five shots, I get a 1.7 gig file that is essentially, I think it's three, about 320 megapixels if you were to, huh. <laughs> yeah. So pretty, pretty big file that I can do a lot with. Yeah, and and you, you're actually scan, you scan other people's film. Yeah, yeah. So I have people send me film from around the world um, as a, to get this drum scanning service done because even on smaller formats, like when people send me six by seven medium format, it's about a 1.2 gig, very usable file that's comfortable to print at 40 by 50 inches 
from medium format. And so they're pretty amazing. And what people love, the main thing about drum scanners is you get a ton of dynamic range out of your slides. So if you had shat, if you had a slide that you wish you had a little more shadow detail in, which kind of you always do with slides, uh, the drum scanner really pulls it out. And it's just a very smooth uh, color gradients and transitions. It's a really good scan. Sweet. Yeah. So we, we don't do drum scans at the camera store, everyone. So if you're looking for a drum scan at a, at a fairly, <laughs> you're, you're, you're the guy and, <laughs> and your prices are on your website. So it's really yeah. easy to find. Yeah. I've got um, a menu there for drum scanning. And so it's, it's, um, I try to do it pretty affordable. Sure. Um, I guess uh, other, yeah, go for it, Mitch. Uh, I was just going to ask about printing since you do a lot of shows when you, uh, is there a, like a favorite surface that you print on or, you, or do you do it based on the image? Uh, so I actually, I mostly, everyone kind of switched to metal in the last like four years or so. And mm. I, I'm not a huge fan of ultra high gloss. So I actually use a lab here in Colorado that does, um, it, they, they do a pigment print and then they mount it to wood and then they do a UV coating on it. Mm. So it's kind of a, a little more subdued look. It works well once you get it in your home because it doesn't have all those reflections. So I yeah. generally do that. I do metal on request, but that's my 95% of the time surfaces that, that would laminate. I do either, and it's either just a float mount that stands off the wall or it'll be framed so they can go either way. Yeah, it's cool that it's on wood though. I, I think uh, everybody just loves when they can just buy it and hang it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's you know? ready to hang. Yeah, yeah so, so and I have like at the shows, I have you know sixteen by twenty prints that are in the bin that people can frame themselves that mm -hmm. they can flip through and see. But for the most part, the wall pieces are what people. It's so nice that they can just buy it and put it on their wall right away. Yeah, so. cool. Is that is that like a Duraplac? Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Okay. And they do a great job. So. Yeah, we all the Rocky stuff gets printed on Duraplac. If you see yeah. it like walking through the club level and stuff like that, so awesome. Um, it's it's really nice stuff. So and it lasts a long time. It does. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, man, I mean, are there any, are any, any tips to, to getting into large format photography for someone who's just starting and is like interested in shooting it? They shoot 35 millimeter film or something like that, but they want to go a little bigger. Patience. Patience. Uh, it's, a, it's a totally different format. What I like though, is it doesn't have to be done expensively. So a lot of people get worried thinking that everything is over the top expensive. It really isn't. You can get a used four by five or even the new intrepid is only 250 British pounds, like $300 or so. It's not a very expensive camera for a new camera. The lenses are all rather affordable and you don't need a ton of them. You can, you can, you can build it at your own pace and go as you want to. And that's what I love about it. It doesn't have to be an over the top technically advanced system. It's all outdated. It's all old and it works. So just enjoy it. I think um, it really slows you down. It's just a very different process. So a lot of people will find themselves because uh, almost everyone that hears a large format is kind of like, I kind of, that kind of sounds fun. I kind of want to try that. You know, like almost everyone wants to, but it's daunting to take the jump. It's a big step. For sure. Um, yeah, it's intimidating, um, but there's a lot of good resources out there. So there are, yeah. Uh, not me, not, <laughs> not Mitch. Uh, you have to ask like Chris at the camera shop. Or, right. Or That's like my biggest, like someone calls on the phone. Like, All right. Uh, can you tell me about the, the, you know, eight by 10 glass you've got? And I'm like, uh, oh, Chris. Uh, yeah, right, yeah, right. <laughs> I can find someone for you, but <laughs> it's like that, that and Leica, that's about it. So yeah, right. Um, those are the two things I'm just like, I'll drop the keys and run. So oh, with Leica, I just, uh, I just sit there and, and smile. Yeah. Right. <laughs> just like, Oh yeah, it's nice. Yeah. You don't have to sell it. I mean, yeah. 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 Like, yeah. I, yes, I'd like to see your finest Leica player. Oh, yeah. 
Is this the most expensive one? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Ooh, I'll yeah. take it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, really great Leica shooters, and uh, and we appreciate you if you are a Leica shooter. Uh, <laughs> um, stepping in some hot water there, Mitch. Uh, but but uh, but yeah. Alex, thanks for coming on, man. Yeah, uh, it was just super me. informational for me. And I, so I'm imagining that for anyone who is interested in, in kind of large format photography, um, you know, they're going to have learned something, at least something. Uh, your website is alexburkphoto.com. Yep. And your uh, Instagram is alexburkphoto. Yep. There we go. I'm looking at it right now. Alex yeah. Burkphoto. So, it's very consistent across all all platforms. There, I like it. Branding. Um, so, so yeah, here we go. Branding. You got to be good at it. If that's all you're doing is selling prints and stuff, you have to, you know, be good at marketing. So, um, but yeah, you've been watching Camera Shop Talk, Mitch. I'm getting out of here. So, Alex, the funny joke is that I have a hard time ending the show. Uh, my dad said that we need outro music. To we need outro started. music. Do you have yeah. some? Um, the thing with outro music is it's just an endless loop. And I used to do radio, and so you just do, quit whenever. Do, you want do, 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 there we go. Do, Perfect. Do, do, do. This has been Camera Shop Talk. Thanks for joining us. We're leaving. There Thank you, Alex. Beautiful pictures. Yeah. <laughs> um, we'll, post, we'll post Alex's links to, uh, to all of his stuff here in the comments below uh, when we're done. Uh, Alex, again, thanks for. For joining us thanks i'm gonna click the end broadcast so you don't have to say thanks for having me anymore i'm telling all you all right <laughs> thanks guys